Welcome to the Virtual Ward Rounds, a surgery podcast that helps you understand what is going on with your surgical patients and answers those burning questions you never had a chance to ask by the bedside. My name is Sergei Tsakanov. I'm a general surgeon from Sydney and an adjunct lecturer from the University of Notre Dame, Australia. We have created and implemented a successful medical student teaching course we call the Virtual Ward Rounds, and now it has come to you in form of this podcast. Each episode is carefully selected to discuss a single issue that relates to perioperative management of a surgical patient. Please check our Instagram and Twitter feeds under hashtag virtualwardrounds for updates and new episodes released every week. All right, uh, welcome back to the Virtual Ward Rounds, uh, a surgery podcast that helps answer those questions that you could never ask by the bedside. My name is uh, Dr. Sergei Tsakanov. I'm a general surgeon in Sydney and I'm also an adjunct lecturer uh, for the University of Notre Dame, Australia. Uh, each episode of this podcast is dedicated to a single surgical perioperative issue that is commonly encountered in everyday surgical practice. Uh, today I have um, our two expert medical students, uh, Jordan and Wendy, present, and we will be talking about management of epistaxis. All right, Jordan, uh, you're on. Um, one of your surgical patients has developed a nosebleed following removal of the nasogastric tube. Uh, the nurse um, calls you to review the patient because he is still spitting out blood 30 minutes later. Um, what are you going to ask the nurse uh, while you're still on the phone? Sure. So I guess the first thing I want to do is sort of get the patient optimally positioned so that as I make my way over there to do a review, they don't bleed excessively too much. So I'd ask the nurse to make sure that the patient's leaning forward, uh, maybe a kidney dish under their nose just to catch any blood. Contrary to sort of what you see in movies or in the community, you don't want the person to have their head tilted backwards, tilted forwards instead and just asking the nurse to uh, apply firm pressure to the anterior part of the nose uh, for at least 10 minutes before letting go to see if it's still bleeding. And in that time, hopefully I can make my way over there. Uh, that's, that sounds good. You can actually ask the patient themselves to, uh, to pinch their nose and lean forward <laughs> rather, rather than getting the nurse to do that for you. But that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a good idea. Uh, and a good idea would be also to ask the nurse if the patient is otherwise okay while you're on the phone. If the patient uh, is struggling to breathe, their sats are low, uh, if they just had um, uh, ENT surgery, um, then uh, that, that would be uh, an indication to escalate this and, and, and get a med team in there and because airway breathing comes before the circulation. All right, um, and so Wendy, uh, tell me about some of the common sites and causes of uh, nasal bleed of epistaxis. Yeah, so the two sites that I think of is whether it's anterior or posterior bleed. Tell me about the anterior epistaxis, please. Um, and my understanding is the anterior is more common, is that right? By far, it's, it it's, uh, accounts for more than 90% of the bleeds. Okay, and my anatomy is coming back to me very, very slowly, but I think that's where Little's area is, and that's the kind of area that makes the nose or the nasal septum highly vascularized. And the area we talk about there as well is having a Kisselbach's plexus, which is where five vessels come together, and that's the extent of my... That's right, and those <laughs> vessels uh, supply the nasal septum. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see the bleed uh, quite often. Um, 
it, it is uh, in the anterior part of the nose. You don't need to have uh, a speculum. You can just shine the light in there, and sometimes, uh, sometimes you can see where it's bleeding from, and that's where you can apply direct pressure, like we discussed at the previous episode. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, Jordan, tell me about the posterior bleeds. Sure. So these ones are sort of less common, and when they do occur. I think from memory, they're sort of associated with bleeds coming from the sphenopalatine artery. And it's sort of an interesting one because they, they tend to have a higher volume of bleeding. But the problem is it's, it's sort of poorly visualized. So sometimes you don't exactly see the blood. And I remember a nurse telling me one time these bleeds are really tough because sometimes the patient can swallow the blood and then it's irritating and then they're vomiting it up and it can get messy very quickly and it sort of highlights that risk of airway compromise and how difficult bleeding can really be an exacerbator in this situation. That's right, it's, uh, this phenopalatine artery bleed can be quite serious uh, and uh, patients can exsanguinate uh, uh, from that and it is uh, pretty difficult to control most common situation where you have a, a posterior a bleed would be a following uh, some form of uh, ENT surgery uh, or surgery to the nose uh, it is less uh, it, it's not common but if uh, but if you try to manage epistaxis and uh, you're pinching and leaning forward doesn't work think could it be a posterior bleed all right, let's go over the risk factors uh, for epistaxis. Um, Wendy? Yeah, so the ones that come to mind are your kind of antiplatelet agents or anticoags that your patient might be on and mm -hmm. NSAID use. In the same flavor, some, um, a coagulopathy or a liver disease. And I guess any recent facial or nasal trauma or surgery, which I think you touched on, Serge. Mm-hmm. What else? What else uh, can uh, in increase the risk of uh, uh, epistaxis? Uh, Wendy took all the good ones, but I think um, if I, you know, dig in the depths of my mind, maybe hypertension, you know, like a, a high arterial blood pressure is uh, possibly going to result in a, a bleed. Um, likewise, just sort of like irritation or friable mucosa, which might be a result of, you know, dry air from cold weather or like a chronic rhinitis sort of thing. Um, and, and also in the ED, always worth considering um, cocaine use can also be quite damaging to the nasal septum and that, that may well be a cause of a bleed. That's, that's a real good one, Jordan, because not only it's uh, highly irritant to the nasal mucosa, but it also drives, uh, cocaine drives your pr pressure quite high. So when mm -hmm. they bleed, they do bleed quite a lot. All right, let's uh, think, uh, let's talk about uh, how we're going to manage uh, this patient uh, with, uh, with epistaxis. Uh, so, um, uh, Wendy, what, uh, what would be your initial management? Yeah, initially, I guess I'd go back to is our patient well? Are they stable and go through our ABCDs? Again, lean, um, as George talked about, our manual compression, so getting the patient to either pinch their own nose or, in George's case, get the nurse to hold the patient's nose, <laughs> get them leaning forward and pinching that soft part of their nose for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, we could also give some vasoconstrictive topical agents. So usually we, we think about adrenaline, but Drixine could be another option. And we also want to consider the need for a transfusion or whether we have to reverse our anticoag. Yes, part of your uh, basic life support. If the patient is bleeding a lot, uh, think about systemic uh, management, uh, transfusion. You can also give 
uh, tranexamic acid uh, if the patient's uh, having a significant bleed. Um, uh, but most of the time, it, you, you hopefully wouldn't, wouldn't have to. Um, all right, Jordan, uh, how would you approach an anterior bleed uh, apart from pinching and, and, uh, and uh, leaning forward? Let's say that doesn't uh, quite achieve the uh, desired effect. Sure. Look, I thought I had it easy and I was just going to say pinch the nose. But um, let's just say that, yeah, pinching's not adequately stopping the bleeding. Then I guess you've sort of got two major pathways you could follow up with. The first might be using some silver nitrate to try to cauterize the vessel. It, obviously, you need to be able to visualize the bleed in order to do this. That's an excellent point. If you don't see the bleeder sticking silver nitrate up, to, up somebody's nose is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, probably pretty painful as well. And I guess the other one which people might be familiar with is uh, tamponade or as more commonly referred to the rapid rhino. So you could try to pack the nose with a rapid rhino if you've got one um, and just making sure to uh, just put some water-based lubrication on that one to, to not irritate the, the nasal septum or the mucosa any further than it may already be. Yeah, and so and a rapid rhino for those that uh, never seen one is essentially uh, a thin balloon uh, coated in a lubricating uh, layer um, uh, that you inflate with uh, air um, uh, just enough to tamponade the bleeding. Um, once you place the rapid rhino in uh, and the bleeding is controlled, you ought to think about uh, antibiotics to prevent toxic shock syndrome. And rapid rhinos should not stick, stay in the nose for longer than 12 to, to, to 24 hours because they can also cause pressure necrosis in the area. Mm. Uh, so once you have controlled the bleed, you should uh, advise the ENT team so they can manage this further. All right, and Wendy, you've got the hard one. Uh, what about the posterior bleeds? How would you uh, approach managing those? Well, I guess as you said, Serge, this is the hard one. So I want to start calling my friends in ENT for some help. Mm -hmm. Um, again, using the rapid rhino um, is effective. Or the other thing we can start thinking about is inflating the Foley catheter in the nasopharynx, and which fills the nose and filling the nose with packing gauze. So the Foley catheter will help to occlude the posterior bleed. The other thing we can do is commence IV antibiotics, given mm. um, thinking about the risk of toxic shock syndrome. That, that's a very good point, Wendy, uh, and the, uh, the posterior bleeds some, uh, are very difficult to control because you can't see them and you can't apply direct pressure. So the Foley catheter trick can get you out of trouble. Um, and uh, the trick uh, to do that is to get a uh, 16 to 18 French um, Foley catheter inserted into the nose um, and then gently inflated. Uh, with uh, about 15 to 20 mils of water and then uh, pull back and, and get consistent traction so you occlude the posterior nasopharyngeal fossa uh, and then you can pack the anterior nasal passage with some gauze. Uh, there are some contraindications to using uh, rapid rhinos and, and Foley catheters. Um, you should definitely avoid using them after a base of skull fracture or nasal or facial bone fractures. Um, uh, and uh, if the patient just had an ENT surgery, that is a um, relative contraindication as well. You should probably try and get the ENT surgeon to come and control this bleed. Mm. I guess too, if they're struggling to breathe. And obviously, if they got airway compromise, A always comes before C. That's a very good point, Wendy. Thank you very much. 
All right, uh, let's sum it up here. Well done, everybody. Uh, let's have two take-home points each this time. Uh, Jordan, um, you can go first. Sure. So my usual point I stress to everyone is escalate if you feel you can't control the issue. So in this case, you know, if you've got a hypertensive patient, 200 on 140, and you can't control that bleed, don't be afraid to escalate it. Very good. Wendy? Uh, get that ENT consult, the posterior bleed. It's a bit of a dark art, so we need some defense. Very good. Uh, Jordan? My final one would be that most epistaxis is an anterior unilateral nosebleed and can be quite effectively controlled with just pressure applied to the anterior part of the nose, ideally around Little's area. Hold it for 10 minutes. Should get you through most of the time. Fantastic. And uh, last one, Wendy? Yeah, it gets no our contraindications for a rapid rhino. So no, as... Serge said, uh, look for um, base of skull trauma, whether we have a compromised airway and has the patient had any recent surgery. Fantastic. Well done, guys. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next time. Virtual Board Rounds is available wherever you get your podcasts. For updates, follow us on Instagram and Twitter or to send your thoughts, queries, concerns, comments, you can also email us at virtualwardrounds at gmail.com. Until next time, happy studies.